Well, yeah, I mean, it's uh, basically he had decided to do this piece about talking to Freak. He's trying to talk to Freak, and Freak, and then he never called him back, and so on. But the long and the short is that he um, he was kind of scooped in a way on Decider by a a, a little millennial woke uh, journalist named Anna um, Anna Menta, M E N T A. And oh. she wrote a piece about the French Connection thing, mentioning me, saying that I'm a problematic journalist. Oh, uh, I'm doing so. You know, she's a she's a basically, but she has um, uh, this real fucking attitude. And here's her final paragraph. Uh, unlike those films, the French Connection is an R-rated movie for adults, and fans argue that new edits of classic films. See, fans edit, not her. Fans argue that new edits of classic films set a dangerous precedent that could influence media literacy and cinematic history. And then this is, here comes her next sentence. This is a real beaut. Others wonder why people want to hear the N-word so much, or so badly. Others want to hear why people want to hear the N-word so badly. Oh, then their last yeah. line is the debate rages on. She's a fucking fanatic. He's what these people like. She actually, in other words, she agrees with deleting this thing because of the N-word. She's one of these monsters that basically believes that it all should be, you know, kind of shut down and, and censored and everything else. Anyway, it's amazing. It's yeah. Um, this, is a, this is a big problem, but it's... it's uh... I feel like, I mean, I sort of feel like we're living through a moment where art is just dead. Like, it's just dead. It's it's being killed right now as we speak. Because the only way it lives on is if, if, if the generations crave it. And these new generations don't, most of the people, the loudest people, the people controlling the conversation, the people who get jobs in journalism, they don't crave it. What they crave is confirmation of their worldview. Yeah. And and, and they right. don't mind if things are censored in order to do that. And unfortunately, it's it's sort of industry wide, and almost country, it's almost in every institution, right? That they, they like, they like they like corporations that virtue signal. They like corporations that tell them what their philosophy is, but they don't like the other thing. They don't like subversive content. They don't like anything that grinds against their their worldview. They're basically yeah. like the Christians way back when. You know, the Christians didn't want anything that was going to be offensive or against their ideology. Um, and then the, the left, the counterculture left came along and blew a hole right through it and created all this yeah. wonderful, alive art. It was a renaissance that we lived through. And that renaissance yep. is, now, is now we're coming to the end of it, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, it's not so much that they're killing art. I think that, that I'd like to take the more somewhat more positive view that uh, art has been put on hold, as it was, as I've pointed out in this article that I initially posted two years ago uh, about history repeating itself. Yeah. And that since wokeness began to manifest in 17, and certainly since the pandemic, the movie pipeline has been losing steam and underproviding, to put it mildly. Uh, above and beyond an array of pandemic suffocations, a significant reason for the strange absence of robust cinema is uh, wokeness and political terror, 
there. And this is pretty much what happened in the 1930s when uh, the modern art movement was essentially called off because of social realism. Yeah. Um, that was a, a movement that, that picked up in the 1930s and didn't really end until the end of World War II. Yes, yeah, right. And, and that's mod what. Modern art began to start up again. Right. And, and I, as I was reading that, um, that, uh, Oppenheimer uh, book because he was like he was like a he, he was a wokester of the 1930s like they, those yeah. bohemians and they started the uh, the NAACP and all these social groups and they cared about social change and social justice all that stuff we're talking about the socialism right. taking over art and needing the confirmation back so it's similar to what we're living through now this collectivism Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and of course FDR was president and it was after the great depression and all that sort of fit in with that ideology. And then things started to change and then realism started to find its way back in, but it took a while, didn't it? Because you had to get yeah. all the way through the forties and all the way through the fifties and to the sixties. So I mean, but modern art, if we're going to talk about modern art and about expressive avant-garde art, which began to be celebrated in the twenties, but it was called off in the 1930s and it did return however right at the end of the war that's when uh the the impressionists began to make their big i mean the the, the uh, abstract impressionists started to make their their impacts around 46 thereabouts 47 so yeah well i was heartened by the fact that i saw recently that this and i heard this point made and i think it's a really good one which is the generation coming up now the generation alpha is yeah. um thinks that all the woke stuff is uncool and, and they don't really like it and they're pushing back against it. Like, for instance, if you're like a generation alpha and you're, you're coming into an elementary school and your teacher is trying to teach you about gender ideology mm -hmm. or LGBT anything, um, right. it's going to, you don't, you know, you're pushing back against that because you don't want your teacher talking to you about that stuff. Like all these older people that want to be like hip with the young, the young mm -hmm. is always going to resist it. They're always going to push away or pull away from it because they like to, every generation likes to define itself, you know? Absolutely. And so the generation I raised, you know, the end of the millenniums and the millennials and the generation Z, those are the conformists, the compliant, well-behaved thought robots, not my daughter, but in general. And they're the ones that are going along with all this, the fanatics that are shutting everything down. But the generation after them, Mm -hmm. I think gives me hope for the future that Sutton's generation Sutton's generation for sure <laughs> for sure by the time she comes up it'll be a totally different world <laughs> and that's sure. that gives me hope you know because I, I you know these things do move in cycles uh -huh. and you know that book the fourth turning by Neil Howe which he's coming out with a new one this year an update to it which he wrote in 2007 he predicted this how all this happening based on the patterns of history and one of the last fourth turning was right that same time the 1930s through the 1940s uh -huh. uh, these are just major generational shifts that go on where they have to kill off the old to make way for the new and um and and there's no doubt about it that we're moving through a major shift you can see it everywhere you can see it with streaming you can see it with this weird transgender stuff i mean it's just there's so much change happening so fast yeah dramatic yeah. big change um but but at the same time the artists are the ones that tell stories the artists are the ones that comment on it usually not now but in general they they're the ones with you know that that are free 
to to observe and to comment on the insanity we're living through. I remember, do you remember that Robbie Canal, that artist Robbie Canal, who would draw these? Listen, Maggie and I, when we were, uh, before Jet came along, we went out and put wild posting for Robbie Canal. We met a bunch of Robbie Canal people and we did some Dukakis wild posting and actually oh. anti-George uh, Bush wild gasping. Yeah, I so mean, I, I loved him, that guy. He was one of my favorite artists. He really spoke truth to power, but you don't see that anymore because the left has all the power now. And so the artists are yeah. usually on the left. And so they can't, you see a lot of this stuff coming up on the right, this kind of Robbie Canal type stuff, but it doesn't, it, it, you know, it's a, it's a whole different thing. It's more like agitprop um, than, than that kind of commentary. Although maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know. But um, but anyway, so been anti-authoritarian. That's what their thing is for the most part. Uh, you know, anti-establishment. Uh, uh, you know, free thinking. That yeah, sort of thing. right. And uh, that's that, that's you know. the kind of world that we grew up in. That that I grew up in. That I I loved so much. Yeah. You know, I just I turned to art. Art art was my religion, really. Um, but yeah. it's gone now. So <laughs> at least it's being put on hold uh, and replaced yeah. by dogma. Um. But anyway, so what were we going to talk about? Box office. You have the whole thing. I just wanted to quote uh, flat out from the Variety article that appeared uh, from Rebecca Rubin that came out on the 18th, which is, I believe, today, no? Today is the 18th, yes? No, yesterday. Right. Uh, It was yesterday. And she basically said, well, no two ways about it, no, uh, no equivocation that the flash is a is a is a it was a wipeout. Uh, it had um, it com- both the Flash and Elemental both entirely missed the mark. The Flash stumbled with 55 million, which is uh, uh, quite low for a film of that type of a family-friendly animated film. And Elemental, uh, I didn't mean to say animated. I meant to say uh, a CG superhero tentpole that that sort of thing. Elemental, which is an animated film, uh, uh, did about 29.5 million, and both films, quote unquote, fell short of already low expectations. Worse, they were pricey endeavors. Uh, now it's unclear the sentence. She says they both uh, they're costing 200 million to make and roughly 100 million to market. I don't know if she means combined or if she means individually. Who knows? But. Um, Anyway, so that they're basically wipeouts, and uh, the question uh, that, yeah, according, there's a, a really fascinating, um, very funny, uh, critical drinker thing basically says that it's, it's, it's any number of factors that people are like sick of superhero films, the whole wave of superhero films, which has been very throbbing and very, very powerful uh, since Iron Man, really, and that, that means 13 years. And, I, and he thinks that it's coming to an end and that it's uh, uh, just people are getting sick of it. You know, they, after a while, they get sick of the repetition and the same the sameness of them. All. And the second thing is uh, that uh, that uh, the, the the lead in the flash uh, uh, Miller, Ezra Miller, is a uh, basically had huge problems and was unable to really promote the film which is arguable arguable and people have their um, impressions of him which are not terribly good i personally as i said yesterday in our first stab of this 
I think that uh, it wouldn't have stopped me from wanting to see it because I think that he makes him more interesting if he's a little bit crazy and he's had personal problems. That means there's something going on inside him that might make the performance more interesting. However, I haven't seen The Flash and I hate the idea of submitting myself to it and you haven't either. So we're basically just talking about statistics and what, what has not happened. Right, uh, but I, I can that... I can speak in broader strokes. First of all, nobody's going to talk about the elephant in the room. And the elephant okay. in the room is that Hollywood used to understand that when it comes to box office, majority rules, meaning the free market decides. If, if a bunch of people go see a Top Gun Maverick, then that means that Tom Cruise wins. He's the king. Whoever directed it is the king. These guys are mm-hmm. A-plus successes who are going to get unlimited contracts and they're going to keep giving the audience this this is what you guys want this is what we're going to give you but hollywood decided in the last few years since covid really to do a great Mm -hmm. a great reset or a great awakening of hollywood so now what they seem to be doing in my opinion stupidly is completely taking out the majority and saying for instance the majority of these kinds of movies are are heterosexual white men who are uh-huh. looking for, or not even white, let's take white totally out of it, because a lot of the audiences are Hispanic and black who go to, to go see super hero movies. But it is internationally true and domestically true that machismo sells. A alpha male, yeah. central alpha male figure in a movie sells. Yet Hollywood has decided that there's something wrong with this and that we have to take out, like literally pulling the teeth out and you can't chew the meat anymore. Like they say, we don't like men anymore. We don't like alpha men. We don't like the patriarchy. We're going to subvert that. So Ezra Miller is like a, like a, I don't know, non-binary or something. Like he's not, a, you know, a macho yeah. hetero, heterosexual male. He's something else. Not only that, they have with Elemental and every movie they've put out, especially, you know, Disney or whoever is, they have a branding problem because now the just 75% of the audience understands that Hollywood has gone woke. And there's only, there's a limit to what they're going to pay for that. They might wait for it to go on streaming and check it out. But when you're talking about 50 bucks at a movie right now, when people are struggling, uh, they're mm-hmm. not going to, they're not going to invest in something that they think that they're going to have to sit there and like grit their teeth and roll their eyes all the way through, you know? <laughs> and, um, I, I just looked at this s- headline. I just looked at a headline here that says Sasha Cal says the flash was a runway to a bigger story for Supergirl as star uh-huh. p- ponders on future. So it's like. I don't understand. Like they, they still want to do this thing where they're selling, they're trying to put women into parts that, you know, are traditionally supposed to be for, for men, for not just men, but apex predator, alpha male, silverback gorilla, like the big cheese, right? That's why men go to movies a lot of times. And throughout history, we go to see the hero um, or we go to see the, like the beautiful, sexy woman, but usually the hero. Right, that's the default, and it is true internationally. If you look at box office, the movies that do the best are always the ones that have a, a you know, heroic character at the at the center. Ezra Miller isn't that, you know, he isn't. His reputation isn't that. Tom Cruise is right. Tom Cruise can sell it. 
pretty well. And he doesn't try to do anything else. He just says, this is what I do. And you know when you're going to go see a Tom Cruise movie that he's going to deliver mm-hmm. on that. So that's why his movie made $800 million and why Mission Impossible is probably going to save the summer. Hollywood seems to be doing this thing. It's, it's very strange. Not just Hollywood, all of the industries um, where they like, they, they punish, they want to punish their consumers and they want to school them or they want to make them do better, think better, like something else, have different tastes. Let's fix our society. Um, but, but again, like that's like putting a plate of veg- raw vegetables in front of someone and saying, eat this instead of that over there. You know, that hamburger with French fries over there. Don't eat that. Eat this plate of raw broccoli and you're going to like it. Um, just a quick story, a little at, at, um, sidetrack. When I was at Wonderland at my daughter's elementary school, which was totally progressive, um, they had this big... Talking 10 years ago or what? Well, she's 25 now, so she would have been, you know, I was, I was the kindergarten aide at her school and I worked there for a couple of years. Okay. And they, they were in this big freak out about lunch because the lunches weren't healthy. And everybody who worked there knew what the kids were like. If you put down a, a thing in front of them, they're going to maybe eat the spaghetti. They'll eat the macaroni and cheese. Uh-huh. But they're not going to touch the vegetables. And you can't force them to eat it. So because of these freak, freaked out parents, all of a sudden this raw broccoli started showing up on these kids' lunch plates. And every single day I would just throw away piles and piles of this raw broccoli and it was totally there just to make the parents feel better not a single kid was going to eat that raw broccoli and that's what this reminds me of it's like you Mm -hmm. know maybe it isn't healthy to give kids the kind of food that they will eat like hamburger or macaroni and cheese whatever it is maybe that isn't healthy but they're going to eat it you know what i mean like you can't mm-hmm. force them to eat something that they don't want to eat. So, you know, the idea is to make something that is both healthy and, um, you know, like, for instance, this is totally sidetrack again. Like, I'm sorry, I apologize. But, you know, everybody would compare, mm-hmm. like, the school lunches in France or Italy where they were so much nicer and healthier than they are here. Yeah. You know, That's- just a piece of chicken and a potato, you know, like it was always so he- wholesome and healthy and the kids ate it. But they have a different culture than we do, you know? Um, so I don't know what the answer is there. But the bottom line is that um, I'm, I, if I was Disney right now, I'd be freaking out. Because I would say, we screwed up our brand. Because this movie is a movie, it's a Pixar movie. It should have made a lot more than what it did. Not even the fact that there were no stars. There. You're talking about the elemental, not the Flash movie. Well, I'm going back and forth between the two okay. because I think the problem is the same with both. Okay. The Flash, if it had if it had somebody that that wasn't Ezra Miller, that was like mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, the Captain America guy or uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger or somebody, anybody who's like a you know a, a you know like a alpha male, then it would yeah. have done a lot better if they picked Ezra Miller, who's made headlines for you know what is he? I don't even know, non-binary, transgender, something you know. He calls himself they. I know that for sure. He is a they. And, and, and yeah, why would they go have... see? Why would people want to go? And that's the only headlines he ever makes. So, why would anyone want to go see a movie with him in this part? You yeah, know? Uh, that that to me yeah, seems that, like doesn't have any uh, conventional, widespread, uh, mainstream appeal. It's a very specific, narrow thing to yeah. be a, to be a, a non binary, to be a they person 
not to mention the strange, uh, compulsive, icky, weird behavior that right. he's been busted for. You know? Yeah, um, and that that is toxic, right? And so these things are are you know, I, so we could we could understand that the Flash would bomb for all those reasons. Elemental, I think, is a little bit more uh, con- um, harder yeah. to harder to talk about. People don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned the fact that there was a non-binary character in there that was a they them, but mm-hmm. it was it was in for such a short amount of time and it didn't really make headlines. So it's hard to believe that that would be the reason people stayed away. But I think it's just an overall problem more than it is a specific problem. I think it's it's the branding. Same with the Oscars. Yeah. People just understand that Hollywood is in this woke phase and they don't want to be they don't want to pay money to, to do and engage in it. Well, thumbs up for them, in my view. I mean, I, I I love it if 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 there's more financial shortfalling and even ruin uh, given to the to the woke culture movies and and the uh, trying to you know basically normalize uh, this kind of stuff in 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 entertainment. And I think it's great. I hope it keeps happening, and I hope it, it precipitates a, a general change or shift in the culture somewhere down the road but i think that people are really sick of it no question all right really quickly i'm going to read you these three headlines i just typed in no way back amc yeah and the three headlines that come up are my site which says AMC. listen to just listen to these three different headlines okay AMC okay. my my site awards daily says amc pressure to pull a film labeled anti-trans and the next mm-hmm. one is from Gay City News that says, anti-trans film nixed after facing backlash. And then Newsweek says, AMC cancels anti-transgender, but it puts anti-transgender in quotes, at least they do that, <laughs> documentary after backlash. So uh-huh. it is being covered the last time we talked. And then Fox News, AMC abruptly cancels film documenting journey of detransitioners after backlash. Actually, that's the best headline right there that, um, that Fox News. And then CBN, uh, AMC cancels documentary on reality of gender affirming care. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Sacramento B, California senator slams AMC for showing, quote, anti-trans propaganda film during Pride Month. Nah. Uh, and those are the headlines for that. But we're living through a very terrifying moment in history when activists on the left yeah. believe they have the right to pressure a theater chain to drop a movie that is factually based on the experiences of people who chose transgender affirming care that they now regret. And it is absolutely their right to have their voices heard and for anyone mm-hmm. to shut it down. Uh, Methinks thou doth protest too much. Like, what are you trying to hide? Why are you trying to, you know, who gives you the right to tell people what they can and can't talk about or what they can and can't mm-hmm. hear? What is wrong with these people? They're fascists. Can I ask, um, I only just got, got up to speed about No Way Back myself from you telling me about it, which we got into yesterday. Can I ask you when you first heard of this film? Uh, it's a documentary, by the way, for those who don't know. And when you... Um, you know, when you started to realize it was a thing that, that, that the folksters were pushing back on and saying you should 
and pressuring AMC to, to drop I, it. I had heard nothing about it until somebody that I follow that I really like her. She's an evolutionary biologist named Heather Hying, who's married to Brett Weinstein. Okay. Um, both considered heretics, but I am a person who is very passionate and um, interested in, in evolution, human evolution. And I love these two uh, minds. They're very intelligent people. Yes, and I trust them over any of these fanatics that are talking about this. Uh, they right. sound like, to me, they sound like uh, militant Catholics, you know, mm -hmm. like telling them, you know, to, to censor the films. I don't know what's going on, why these people have lost their minds or why anybody at AMC would listen to them. But anyway, so she tweeted it out and she said, AMC canceled this, this documentary, but it's still something everybody should see. Mm -hmm. And I had never heard about it. So I searched about it and uh, it has its own website and a trailer on the website. Mm -hmm. um, let me just check it out really quickly here. No way back. So um, you heard about this last week from her? Just, saying? yeah, literally just a couple of days ago. Um, and I'm, I was just mortified. And so I went through this thing of like, mm -hmm. you know, that we all go through when something like this happens, I sit there and I think, how worth it is it for me to cover this? I feel very passionately about censorship. I'm yeah. very, very alarmed and worried about kids who are going through this without pr proper information or warning. I'm worried that parents are being pressured. Gavin Newsom's supposed to sign a bill right now that um, is going to take away parental rights of the non-custodial parent for not affirming their child's gender. They're they're flying. It, it allows the school to make the uh, to consult with a kid without the yep. parents knowing. Yeah, and they're they're doing that in New York. Yeah, and in Ireland, they've just banned you know, any discussion about this or something, you're not allowed to say there are only two genders. All of this stuff is, is, um, is wrong. Like just that, that doesn't mean that you're anti-trans or, you know, you don't accept trans people, but you cannot mandate people to think a certain way, especially for that. I mean, that there's, what are we going to do? Erase millions of years of evolution suddenly now. Yep. But, um, yep. anyway, so, the problem I have is that a lot of these kids are becoming infertile. A lot of them are having their breasts removed at 13 years old before they even understand what's going on. Now, how can a child of 13 consent to something like that? I, I, thought, our, I thought we protected kids. I thought it was like a child can't consent. Now, what's the difference between consenting to have your breasts removed um, or to go on cross-sex hormones, which make you infertile and all, all, a lot of the time eliminate your sexual function. A lot of these young boys get their, their penises shrivel up and they no longer can function. From taking hormone pills. Again. Taking hormone pills. So, yeah. and not, you know, not everybody does, and, and, mm -hmm. but they still need to, it still needs to come out. People still need to be warned. And, you know, it's like the tobacco lobby didn't want people to know that cigarettes cause cancer. Well, you've got to get that stuff out to the people, you know. Right. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so there's no excuse for these activists to have done this. But I, I was thinking, if I post this, I'm going to get so much crap from these people. You know, they're going to go after the people that work with me. They're going to go after advertisers. They're going to call me anti-trans, whatever it is. And But I posted it anyway, even though... Um, I knew it was going to rain down hell on me, but I'm, I'm ashamed that nobody else is talking about it in the, in the film world. It's, it's disgraceful. Well, I will. 
Well, you well, you and I were were you and I are heretics, right? <laughs> we don't have a problem with that. But you know, New York Times should be writing about it. Hollywood Reporter, Deadline, they're all just they're cowards. They're afraid. Yeah, um, it's disgraceful. Anyway, so that's all we're going to talk about with that. With our other podcast, we went on and on for hours. So just be happy that you're getting this first. <laughs> yes, finally. Now let's just—I'll just whip over very quickly to the final topic, which was uh, the film that I saw last weekend at a special public sneak preview called No Hard Feelings, which is the first uh, kind of uh, body, uh, uh, you know. Uh, kind of uh, crude and, and funny and lively comedy that Jennifer Lawrence has been in in quite some time. And I was um, looking very much forward because I figured uh, that a film that is being snuck to the public, they, they know that it works on, on a certain level and they wouldn't sneak it. They would just depend upon the advertising and the marketing. And, yeah. uh, but they, they, so I was certain I was going to see something that definitely worked. And to my great disappointment not great disappointment but mild disappointment it doesn't really work that well it is it is um the premise is basically you know an older woman uh Jennifer, <laughs> that's funny older woman she's yeah. 32 but that that's how she's viewed in this film <laughs> in fact she's has to deal with kind of snide little remarks from zoomers about how oh you know she's basically is she are you a mom are you older she it's really funny actually that part of it is actually quite good but she's a uh, kind of un, uh, under underemployed bartender, and she's trying to save her car. And uh, she takes this job from a, a pair of helicopter parents, played by Matthew Broderick and Laura Benanti, to uh, go out with her, their son, excuse me, with their son, and date him, i.e., fuck him, uh, before he goes off to Princeton in the fall. So he'll be a little more confident, sexually confident, a little more, you know, sophisticated. And uh, it, it, all the setups are right there, and you think, okay, this is going to be like an 80s sex comedy in some way. And it, strangely, it, the setups are there, the jokes are there, the pratfalls are there, but it doesn't work. It's funny. It doesn't work that well. Sometimes it does. And if you go on Twitter and you look at the various people who are talking about No Hard Feelings, there's a lot of people who think it's pretty great. And they think, you know, see this, this is wonderful. This is but there's, it's basically the kiss-ass chorus. And I, and I wish that I could be part of the kiss-ass chorus because I very much wanted to, um, to be aroused and, have, and given a good time by this. And I, was, I was really surprised that it didn't quite work the way it should have. Anyways, so you know, as you, were, as you were describing this to me just now, and this isn't the case on our, the little, our wasted podcast that we're not going to post because I wasn't thinking about it then. Uh-huh. But don't you think it's a little bit weird that a parent would would be involved in a ch- in a, in their son's sex life like that? Like, uh, why would they? Why are they like trying to get him laid? Like, why is that their job? They sense that there's something unnaturally uh, introverted about him. They they feel that he's too much of a hider. I know, but in 2023, know, they just they just make him trans, wouldn't they? They take him to a clinic and they would say, oh, he's transgender, and they'd give him puberty blockers. <laughs> No, there's nothing. There's no talk about sexuality. I know, but but who? What parents in, on what parents now in the progressive world look at their son like yeah. that and immediately think, "Oh, I know, I'll take him out and and get him laid," like that? They just don't. Parents don't think like that, you know. 
Well, that's true. I mean, no, I've never heard of a of, of a pair of pilot helicopter parents trying to help their son out. Because that's the it's, it's a little of... creepy, honestly. And I would never normally think that because I, you know, you know me. I would love I love dirty, raunchy comedies and stuff. But I think there's something weird about that. Not on her part. I don't think that she's predatory or anything. I think that the parents like trying to get their son laid. I think is a little weird. I mean, it wouldn't be weird if it was maybe another culture and they were trying to get him married. Get, you know, marry him off, but like I want to loosen him up, and that's like a, a dad. You know how they tell stories about dads hiring hookers for their sons, and people thinking that's weird. You know, but that's sort of what this is like. You know, Isn't <laughs> well, this it? is exactly Sasha what the uh, what the Wolfster chorus is saying that it's perverse, that it's not cool, and who wants to watch uh, something odious and icky? Like parents well, trying to the parents sleep. part. I think I, it feels weird to me. Like maybe they pull it off in humor, but the I thought you were talking about they were saying that it was weird that Jennifer Lawrence was older than him and that because I don't think that part well, is they think sexual uh, manipulation and, and, and not um, put it this way. Put it this way. If I was writing this comedy, I would have it be a, not a parent, but like a like, let's say the parents died in a car crash and there was some rich uncle from another country. Maybe that like a, I like that better. You're me right too. Away, like right a, like a Al Pacino that. incentive of a woman. Um, yeah. and, and, and it's, I'm going to get this kid educated. You know, it's, it's like a politically incorrect thing to do, you know, send him to New York and I'll show him around yeah. and I'll get him laid. But like, That's there's good. some, there's I something like weird like about a mother being like, I need to get my son laid. It's just, it's a yeah. little bit weird, a little boundary crossing, I think. Yeah. But maybe they pull it off. I don't know. Anyway, so it's, so it's, um, there's, there's a lot of, been a lot of pushback from uh, the Wokesters ever since the trailer hit. And I have a feeling that there's going to be some pushback in that community for sure. However, again, I, I did see it with a crowd. It was a public sneak, and there was a fair amount of laughing. And it's not like they were silent and hating it, but it, it was not a rollicking response. And there was not any noticeable, wow, that was pretty good, clap, clap, clap. At the end, it just kind of like was over, and that's it. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if it's going to work. And that well. and we were talking about how comedy isn't funny anymore because every, they have to pull punches, and and yeah. and so you know you can't make a raunchy, sexy comedy in twenty twenty three and have it be that funny. Um, but maybe yeah. I don't know. I'll I'll keep an open mind. There is only one review right now on Rotten Tomatoes for this, and it's a it's a rotten review. Um, and it's it's by a site called Culture Mix. Um, it, I didn't think the reviews were coming out until like Wednesday or something or Tuesday or, you know, this is Monday, right? So, OK, so at the top of Culture Mix, it says. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> yeah, it says at the very top of the review, culture representation taking place in New York's Montauk, Long Island, the comedy film, yes. No Hard Feelings features a predominantly white cast of characters with a few Latinos and Asians and one Native American representing the working class, middle class, and wealthy. And then it says, Culture Clash. A 32-year-old Uber driver restaurant worker is in danger of losing her house due to unpaid tax bills, so she desperately agrees to be paid to take the virginity of a lonely and socially awkward 19-year-old man who comes from a wealthy family. Then it says, culture audience, no hard feelings will appeal primarily to, primarily to people who are interested in watching cringe-worthy sex comedies 
that have very outdated comedy gimmicks involving older women and younger men. <laughs> God. And it says, the beginning paragraph says, No Hard Feelings is a cringe-worthy sex comedy in all the wrong ways. It has a few laugh-out-loud moments and mostly recycles crude cliches from 1980s comedies about nerds losing their virginities. Jennifer Lawrence's full frontal nude scene reeks of desperation. It's obvious that Lawrence wants to toss aside her prestige actress image for her starring role in No Hard Feelings. Mm. Um, but there's also something kind of pathetic about how hard she's trying to be edgy when this outdated movie is as edgy as a used condom from 1984. That's a very cruel, cruelly worded movie. It's not a very gracious film. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's not a very gracious take. It's a, it's not bad, you know, it's just, it's just, it's, it's in and out, you know, it's not a complete. Just, I just uh, think that they're, I think they have a, they, they have a, they're, uh, they are blocked by the social justice strident warriors. And so they can't really be that funny. And I think that's what you're noticing is yeah. there's a hesitation yeah. there. It's almost like AI made the movie, you know, and it was told they, these are the rules you can't break. Um, it's uh, it's it, I'm implying without actually saying that there's really nothing that happens in the film that uh, constitutes a, an older woman uh, uh, sexually using or, or or exploiting or whatever you want to put. It, he, nothing happens, you know. I mean, it, it, they they pulled the punches. So, so here's not, here's a way that the story could have gone. Let's just let's just run with it for fun. Yeah. Like if I was writing the story. So let's say yeah. the parents set this whole thing up, right? Because they think that um, their poor little nerd son needs to get laid at 19, which, again, I've already said, I think is weird yeah. and creepy and not funny and not a fun premise for a movie. Mm. You want to put your audience in a place where they feel comfortable laughing. And that automatically people are starting to think, oh, I don't know, this is a little... But, um, but if uh. you... Let's just say that like they, they do do that and... Uh, maybe the mom secretly thinks, oh, he'll, you know, he won't go through with it. And maybe the dad wants him to, whatever it is. I don't know that that is something I'm going to have to see to believe. But, uh -huh. but let's say that he, you know, he does sleep with her and then he, he's so into it that he can't give it up and he becomes a sex addict. And then all he wants to do is have sex constantly and he ends up ruining his life, quitting college. <laughs> I mean, that'd be more interesting. That's not bad. That's, that's at least something else. That's different. Well, know? because it's, it's yeah. yeah, I mean, in, so you're mm. telling me in this movie, spoiler alert, he basically doesn't have sex with her, right? She does. They, they never do the deed. That's right. And at the end, he's taught her that he believes in love and not sex. Yeah, he's actually saying that from the, from the get-go. That's part of his hang-up. He, he wants to, it to be real. He's not raunchy enough. He's not hormonal enough. He, he takes uh, love and sex very seriously, like all sensitive guys do. So. And so why are the parents wanting him to be at 19? Like, I could see if he was 30. That would be hilarious. But why at 19 would the parents be so worried about him not having sex? Well, listen, it's not a uh, really well-written script. It's got the, the bullet points in it. It's got the basics, but it doesn't really uh, explore... The, the parents' feelings—they just are anxious about him being uh, too um, too internalized and too uh, uh, you know kind of hung up about internal stuff and not being uh, 
are alive on the, on the planet Earth. And they, well, it doesn't. It, the, I mean, I'll have to see it, but the the premise rings false to me okay. because it's 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 you know helic. We're in an era of helicopter parents, you know, of coddling, overprotective. And that's that's the reason why kids of his age aren't having sex. In fact, um, Jonathan Haidt writes about this, and mm-hmm. Abigail Schreier writes about this in in um, uh, her book about transgender uh, care called Irreversible Damage. She talks about how all of our kids, and I can attest to this, my daughter, they they weren't they were kept inside. They weren't allowed to go to parties and you know make uh. out and discover their sexuality. They were mm-hmm. all online. And so it's, it was a disconnect for them. And that's why so many of them aren't having sex. Like they're just, people just aren't having sex, especially young people. But the problem is that the parents are the ones that are causing it. So that's why the whole premise mm. rings untrue to me. Like, Incidentally, about the full frontal nudity thing that Jennifer Lawrence goes through, I swear I could tell there was something off about it. It looked like it might be a CG paste job, you maybe her body, but somebody else's uh, lower extremities. It just didn't look real or natural. There's something CG about it. So that's something that people will be asking about when they see the film this coming weekend. Anyway, uh, one final thing I will bring up, and that's Oliver Stone has uh, expressed an opinion about films like. Um, Fast and Furious and John Wick 4. He, he is told Variety. Now, I was a hater of John Wick 4, and I was told that, you know, you're completely missing the point. It's ballet. It's, 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 it's you know, you're missing the, uh, the, the cutting edge aspect of it. It's not just about murdering people. It's, you know, you're missing the music. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a style movie. And here's Oliver uh, Stone saying, quote, I saw John Wick 4 on the plane. Talk about volume. I think the film is disgusting beyond oh, belief. Dude. Disgusting. Wow. Okay. I don't know what people were thinking. Maybe I was watching G.I. Joe when I was a kid, but Keanu Reeves kills, what, three, four hundred people in the fucking movie? As a combat veteran, I got to tell you, not one of them is believable. I realize it's a movie, but it's become a video game more than a movie. I mean, the, the, it's lost touch with reality. The, the, the audience perhaps likes the video game. I get bored by it. How many cars can you crash? How many stunts can you do? What's the difference between Fast and Furious and some other film? It's just one thing after another. And this is what many people, you know, feel about all this crap. But it, it, it's, it's kind of fascinating because the Variety uh, interviewer who spoke to Oliver his name is Christopher Vorlias in, in, um, in um, Romania. He doesn't agree with Oliver. And he's kind of saying, oh, you know, Oliver Stone wouldn't, wasn't done. And he's got, a, uh, he's got some image problems. He's got some, you know, he has an attitude problem. He doesn't seem to get today's world. It's really fascinating. Anyway, that's what um, Oliver thinks. Okay. So at least I, there's somebody else who felt as I, as I did. So. Yeah, I just also want to say that the guy who wrote this movie, No Hard Feelings, also yes. wrote a movie called, I don't know if you remember it, but Bad Teacher. I remember uh, Cameron Diaz, yes. Yeah, Very Bad good. Teacher and then the TV series Bad. So I think with this, he's trying to do another kind of Bad Teacher. But that was all okay. the way back in 2011 when you could still be politically incorrect. Mm-hmm. So it could just be right. that at any other time in history, this movie would have landed and been much funnier. 
but in 2023 it's just there's no room for a movie like that but i guess we'll mm. see i don't know we'll see how it goes uh um he also did the office he did four years of the office and he did the office yeah but the yeah. bottom line is that if it's funny it's funny and you don't have to sit there and talk about it you already know that it's funny you know right, right. it either works or it doesn't you know what mm-hmm. i'm saying so okay um, all right. Well, it was nice talking to you. I, I think we managed to salvage this. It's not quite as macabre as our other one. <laughs> okay, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> and I'm glad you could hear me, even with the, the music going on in the background. So yeah, yeah. Uh, and I yeah, I, I think I think we did a decent enough job. We can post this. It's not even quite an hour, so it's not one of our marathon okay. things. But it is what it is. All right, kiddo. So, Very nice speaking with you again. Nice talking to you too. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. Bye. When my body won't hold me anymore And it finally lets me free Will I be ready When my feet won't walk another mile And my lips give their last kiss goodbye Will my hands be steady When I lay down my fears, my hopes and my doubts The rings on my fingers and the keys to my house With no hard feelings When the sun hangs low in the west And the light in my chest won't be kept held at bay any longer when the jealousy fades away and it's ash and dust for cash and lust and it's just hallelujah and love and thought love in the words love in the songs they sing in the church And no hard feelings Lord knows they haven't done Much good for anyone Kept me afraid and cold With so much to have Nobody won't hold me anymore And it finally lets me free Where will I go? Will the trade winds take me south Through Georgia grain Or tropical rain Or snow from the heavens Will I join with the ocean blue Or run into a savior true And shake hands laughing 
and walk through the night straight to the light holding the love I've known in my life and no hard feelings Lord knows they haven't done much good for No way.